Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly. And I don't want to talk to your personality, I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that. And now you do. Back from the Borderline is a place to unhook from your overextended life to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of your soul. And on this podcast, there's no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There's no outcome, only eternal unfolding. More than 50% of us will be diagnosed with a mental illness, dysfunction, or disorder at some point in our lifetime. Many of my listeners identify with various psychiatric labels like BPD, bipolar, CPTSD, ADHD, autism, depression, the list goes on. The medical model of mental illness tries to convince us that the root of our suffering is due to chemical imbalances in our broken brains, and that the best we can hope for is to numb or suppress the symptoms of these disorders, dysfunctions, and imbalances into remission. The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. What if we viewed our symptoms as saviors? Through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. Here on Back from the Borderline, you will learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working and integrating the concepts we'll explore together on the podcast, 
you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. If you're a new listener and you want to make sure you catch my new episodes every Tuesday, make sure you follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to join my community on Instagram, you can follow me there at Back From The Borderline. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, you can send me a voicemail at my website at backfromtheborderline.com. And for super fans, don't forget that there is over 110 plus hours of bonus content available by becoming a premium submarine. And you can find out all about that in the link in the episode description. All right, everyone. So we are going to get into our topic of the day. But first, I want to play the listener voicemail that inspired this episode. Hi, Molly. It's your premium subscriber, Madison from Colorado. And I am sending this voicemail because lately I've been feeling really overwhelmed and stressed out about finding my purpose or my calling in life. And I feel like I've just spent so much time in survival mode, just trying to get by that I've never really explored my talents or my passions. And even as a kid, I had such severe anxiety that I never really did try new things and explore my passions because I let fear hold me back. And back in 2019, I dropped out of college because I was in the depths of my mental health struggles and I could never find a major that felt aligned to me either. And now I work in customer service and I'm also a part-time server and I get really worried that this is all I'll ever accomplish for myself. And I really want to find a job or a way to make income that feels fulfilling and brings me joy, but I don't even know how to go about figuring that out. Um, I don't even know where to start. And you turning your podcast into a career is super inspiring to me. And finding something that feels aligned to you is something that I am inspired by and want to do the same. So any advice you have on the subject is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Madison. I love this question. And shout out to my premium submarines. I love my premium subscribers. I love all of you, though. But thank you for supporting the podcast, Madison. Now, I am relating so hard to this question. And trust me, I've put together a whole Molly nerding out deep dive and a concept I'm going to introduce to you that's going to guide us through this topic of just finding our life's purpose. I mean, you know, such a light topic. <laughs> How to find out your your life's purpose on earth. Yes, we're going there. We're going to tackle it. And I'm really excited to introduce you to the framework through which I think we can really dive into this, but I just want to respond to Madison's question from a human perspective first, because hard relate. I also was a college dropout, then I went to beauty school, then I went back to college, majored in communications, which is basically like It's kind of like people laugh at a communications degree because it's kind of like the major in the United States that you do when you're like, I don't know what the fuck I want to do. No shade to communications majors, but if you are one, you're probably nodding your head along with me. (laughs) That's what my degree is in. Um, And looking back, I probably would have done something like philosophy or psychology, but I just remember I was so stuck in my trauma and was so out of it when I was picking a major in college. I had no idea who I was. I'm not even close to the same person I was then. And I also worked 
random customer service jobs. Then I was working in tech. Then I worked in fashion. My first job was like flipping burgers at a place called Hamburger Stand in Wyoming. I worked at American Eagle. I've worked as a waitress. I've, um, as many of you know, like I got into the sex work industry for a while and I've done it all. And it was all because I was like, I have no idea what the fuck I want to do. I even pursued my music career for a while and I really wanted to write songs and I took record label meetings and then I flopped on my face and I went back to graduate school for a year thinking I wanted to be a therapist and then I was like, ugh, no thank you to this. I do not want to practice within the medical model of mental health. I was all over the place. And so only at like the age of 31 did I start this podcast and I've been now at it for a couple of years now But I just want to shout out to anyone who is struggling to find out what they want to do and being really hard on themselves. It's not easy and it is a journey and you have to try and fail and try and hate things to find out what you like. And the beautiful part of my journey of doing all these different things for work was that I got to really see what I loved, what I really didn't love. And it's allowed me to kind of mold this career that I have now. And as my premium subscribers know, just in the last month, because of the support from my patrons and my premium subscribers, I've been able to resign from my full-time job, which I was there for about four and a half years. And now I'm here doing my podcast full-time. And I never thought that this reality would be possible. And so this episode really excites me because I'm a true believer in this concept that I'm going to introduce you all to. And I want my journey to give you hope because while you might not quit your job in tech to start a podcast, you could phase into something that you really love that can support you. Now, did it scare me when I resigned from my full-time job? Did I take a huge pay cut? Am I still kind of like freaking out? Yeah, but I knew I had to take the dive and I'm able to pay my bills with this podcast now and I'm going to throw everything I have into it because it gives me so much joy. Whereas the job that I had before, I felt like I was just having my soul drained every day. I didn't believe in anything that I was doing. I loved the people I worked with and I did my job to the best of my ability every day, but it was always just felt like something was missing and now I don't feel like that anymore. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. I am nervous. I get stressed out. This work is really close to me. And so whenever I receive any kind of like critical feedback, I can take it really personally. There's a lot of admin and I'm a one person doing this whole thing right now. So it's a lot, but it brings me so much joy. And I want that for each and every one of you. Many of us live our lives always planning the next thing And we're just feeling like we're trapped in a constant state of busyness. And there's truth in that old saying that goes, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. I think all of us can relate to feeling that certain sense of guilt that you might just be caught in a perpetual loop of thinking, if I just get here, if I just do this, if I just meet this person, if I make this amount of money... If only, if only I get X, Y, Z, then I'll be happy with my life. Then I'll be content. And if 
you're anything like me, maybe you've gotten those milestones. Maybe you've hit those income milestones or you've gotten that promotion or you've moved to that city and you thought, oh, I thought this would make me happy, but I just feel the same as I did before. For as long as I can remember, I've felt a certain sense of that existential frustration that comes from having conflicting desires. You can see it in my career path, and I'm sure Madison, who sent in the voicemail, and many of you can relate. You want a lot of different things, and some of those things conflict with one another. Like on one hand, we want to live a life full of meaning, but then on the other hand, we want to enjoy a lifestyle that might come with more financial freedom. And many of us can feel a certain shame in that. And I think that's normal and human, and we should cut ourselves some slack for those conflicting feelings. And what that means is that many of us are caught in that really soul-pulling struggle between the things that make money and bring financial freedom to the things that we truly cared about. And that was a perfect example of my tech job where I was making decent money to my podcast, which is a fledgling business that is dedicated to helping people. And not only that, helping myself. I love learning about these things. It's a true passion and what I believe is my calling. One of the many mistakes that I've made in my own life and I've seen it play out in front of my own eyes. I went from extreme financial insecurity, living off my credit cards. I did not come from a family that was wealthy and I know what it feels like to wonder where your next paycheck is coming from, to kind of be at the grocery store and wondering, should I get this or that? It's really, really stressful. And then I've also experienced making good enough money to where I didn't have those stresses. I wasn't out booking time on yachts or, you know, buying a round of drinks for an entire bar of people, but I felt like I could really meet meet all of my basic needs, get some of the things that I wanted in my life without having to feel stressful, pay off my credit card debt, that kind of thing. And so what I learned though, is that Money didn't lead to true fulfillment, even though I felt like my basic needs were met, which is huge, by the way, and I'm not denying the importance of that because I truly believe that until your basic needs are met, it's really hard for us to expect people to thrive if they're wondering where their next meal or next paycheck is coming from, or they're drowning in financial debt. But what I did learn is that I still felt even with more financial freedom in my life, I felt completely empty and not fulfilled. And I was still having those feelings of like, is this what this is all about? I just have to wait till my next vacation day is approved by my boss and show up to meetings and pitch things that I don't really care about and smile and go along with things that I don't agree with just so that I can pay my bills. It just didn't feel right. So when I think back on those times It makes me think of the James Taylor song. And in one of his songs, he says, you can play the game and you can act out the part, even though you know it wasn't written for you. And I think for much of my adult life and my career, I felt like I was acting the part. 
and many of us who are highly sensitive people who might even relate to traits of something like autism could feel like we are masking a lot. We're just doing what we think we should do, going through the motions. Now, borrowing concepts from other cultures can be a way to open our minds and find a new way of addressing old problems, as well as something I'm really passionate about, and I believe it is the secret sauce of what humanity needs right now, and that's connecting our personal and spiritual growth. Right now, I feel like those things are too separate. We either have like woo-woo stuff that is turning spirituality into like this really warped form of capitalism. And then we have just like personal growth, which is like CBT things, which is ABC, follow these steps and you'll feel better. We need a fusion of personal and spiritual growth in a grounded way. And many ancient indigenous cultures took time to honor the question of purpose and a life's path through different ceremonies, vision quests, and rites of passage in order to help reveal the essential role that each member of a tribe or group was born to play in the greater tribe and also the greater fabric and story of life. The space and reverence for these types of reflections and initiatory experiences and questions don't have a place or even seem to exist in our society today. Young people, including myself, grew up in a society devoid of the spiritual, or if they had any access to spirituality, it was really dogmatic and it turned many of us off because it seemed exclusionary. And for me, having so many of my friends be gay men at the time in particular, that's just where where I existed. I happened to grow up and I just found myself surrounded by a lot of uh, young gay men as my friends. And I was so turned off by the church. And so many of us are spiritually starved. And I love to go back into the history and borrowing these concepts from other cultures who had it figured out. We don't have rites of passage anymore. We don't know what it feels like to be shepherded from a child mindset to an adult mindset and finding our purpose. And for many of us, our decisions around life focus unfold in a more reactionary way. Like I described to you at the beginning, my own path, it, this reactionary way of pursuing our life's purpose shoots us into educational, professional, and life-directional paths based less on a deep inner calling or a soul-inspired vision and more on societal expectations or this kind of so-called practical reality that we live in and what's required to survive in the systems that we're forced to participate in in these cages that we were raised in, if there was ever a time when a true sense of purpose was needed, required, or desperately called for, now would be the time. But the hardest part about that is we're living in a multi-layered society in this modern world, so many pressures, so many distractions, so many systems that beg for our participation and draw from us that makes it so difficult 
to really peel back the layers and discover why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. So if this is something you've been struggling with, I ask you again to give yourself a healthy dose of grace. One of my personal heroes and someone that long-term listeners know that I have brought up multiple times on the podcast is American mythologist and author Joseph Campbell, and he was extremely passionate about sharing his views on fulfilling our life's purpose. And he once said, my general formula for my students is follow your bliss, find where it is, and don't be afraid to follow it. There's a concept called sacred activism, and sacred activism encourages us to find our purpose by following our heartbreak. Following your heartbreak means discovering what is most deeply disturbing to you personally in the world and use this as a catalyst to propel your actions and discover where you, with your unique strengths, can make the biggest difference. It's what I'm doing here on my podcast. For me, what disturbs me most in the world is spiritual starvation of our society, is the fact that we pathologize and choose to label the human emotional experience as disordered or dysfunctional, which makes people feel trapped in these boxes of the medical model. I'm passionate about this. And so I'm using my work to drive this belief and it it is powerfully moving for me as an individual. There's a philosopher and civil rights leader named Howard W. Thurman. And he once said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and do that. Because what the world really needs is people who have come alive. And now while each of these viewpoints are really compelling in their own right, whether we're following our bliss, following our heartbreak, or following something that makes us come alive, or a combination of all of these, for many of us, there's also a need to follow what pays the damn bills, right? Because you might be thinking, yeah, all of this is nice, but I have to pay my heating bill, my electric bill, I have kids to support, right? And I need to cover my basic necessities. So how do we balance all three of these factors in the creation of a life that's meaningful, purposeful, and feels aligned to our true calling? As I mentioned, right, I believe that our symptoms are saviors. When we are feeling like there's no point to let to life when we're experiencing the symptoms of certain disorder or dysfunction labels. I'm truly of the belief that it means that our body, our mind, our spirit, our soul is saying, Hey, you're not in an environment that is conducive to your unique strengths. You're not living in alignment with your truth. You might be showing a mask to the world that is not what your true soul, your true self is feeling like you should be doing. So it's sending you the signs that it can. For many people, striving to find their purpose in life can resemble like a kind of winding quest 
filled with twists and wrong turns, just like I described with you with my own career. And I'm sure my career is going to have further twists and turns that I don't even know about yet. And some people choose to blindly follow passions that aren't based in reality, and then they wind up feeling discouraged when their dreams don't materialize. I've experienced that myself. And then other people just resign themselves to careers that bring them lots of money and maybe even high status positions, but they aren't fulfilling. I worked with lawyers in one of my previous jobs and some of these people make an incredible amount of money and they are so depressed and hate what they do. I'm not saying all lawyers hate what they do, but it's just an example. So in both cases, whether you're blindly following your passions and then becoming super depressed when they don't materialize or chasing status and money and then feeling like you're not fulfilled, in both of these cases, over time, your sense of purpose can feel like it just begins to fade and become less and less clear. And according to recent studies, lacking a sense of purpose in our life can be detrimental to our health. And I found out this the hard way. I know for a fact that much of my physical and mental illness that I suffered was because I was living so deeply out of alignment with my true purpose. One international study found that people who have a sense of purpose in life are actually at lower risk of death and heart disease. Now, why might this be? Researchers found that those who feel purpose often have healthier lifestyles. They're more motivated, they're more resilient, and this inherently protects them from stress and burnout, and stress and burnout is what causes dis-ease or illness. And these same researchers found that while people from the U.S. defined purpose as being useful to others, those from Japan, for example, were powered by a deeper and more expansive interpretation of happiness. And people in Japan refer to this as ikigai. The concept of ikigai is, above all else, a lifestyle that strives to balance the spiritual with the practical. And this balance is found at the intersection where your passions and talents converge with the things that the world needs and is willing to pay for. The Japanese word ikigai means life purpose or raison d'etre. I'm probably butchering that French pronunciation, but there's also a French phrase which is raison d'etre, which means reason for living. So ikigai refers to defining your personal meaning of life in relation to your talents, passions, and profession, as well as what you can give to the wider world in exchange for some kind of currency, right? Because we all need to live. And adherence to the Ikigai philosophy believe that finding such a nuanced and personalized sense of purpose can lead to a more fulfilling life and increased longevity. Ikigai compounds two smaller Japanese words, iki meaning life and gai or kai meaning worth. 
And while the concept has a long history in Japan and other parts of Asia, the term recently resurged in popularity throughout the Western world with the publication of a book by Hector Garcia and Francis Morales. This book they wrote in 2016 is called Ikigai, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. And obviously having a long and happy life depends on many different factors, right? Such as eating well, exercising, getting enough sleep, having positive people around you, you know, having the sunlight on your face every day, you know all of the things. The Japanese have a proverb which perfectly explains the importance of finding your purpose or ikigai. And this proverb says, only by remaining active will you wish to live for a hundred years. And I don't think they mean active like going for a run every day. Active is a multifaceted word here in this proverb. The fundamental truth of Ikigai is that nothing is siloed. And by siloed, it means kind of separate. Everything that you do in your life should be connected and have this connecting thread and overlap. And according to the Japanese, everyone has an Ikigai. Everyone. To find it often requires deep inquiry, self-inquiry, and a lengthy search for self a search which is very, very highly regarded in Japan and as seen as something that everyone should undertake. And the word ikigai, that space in the middle of these four elements of, you know, what we're good at, what we could be paid for, what we're passionate about, etc. It's seen as the source of value or what makes our lives truly worthwhile. And in Okinawa, Japan, Ikigai is thought as a reason to get up in the morning. And interestingly, while certainly incorporating the financial aspects of life, the word is often more used to refer to the mental and spiritual state behind our circumstance as opposed to the current economic status that we're living in. And even if we're moving through a dark and challenging personal time, if we're moving with purpose, if we're feeling called towards something, or we have a clear goal in our mind, we can still experience ikigai. And often the behaviors that make us feel ikigai are not the ones we're forced to take based on the expectations of the world around us, but rather they're the natural actions and spontaneous responses that emerge from a deep and direct connection with life. But it's important to understand that figuring out your ikigai doesn't happen overnight. Rather than being something that you might magically discover, your purpose in life unfolds and evolves over time. This is something that many of us forget. And we spend so much time beating ourselves up, similar to Madison in her voicemail. Why can't I figure out my purpose? It's because it's meant to be a winding path that evolves and unfolds over time. And I happen to know, based upon my previous interactions with Madison as a premium subscriber of my podcast, she's in her 20s still, and it's completely normal to be still figuring things out, even into our 30s and 40s. It's totally fine. Some people don't find their true purpose until much later in life. 
Now, if you're thinking that you can just sit back and chill and expect your ikigai to just present itself to you, that's not the way it works. To find your ikigai requires a certain willingness to have some really deep self-exploration and experimentation and ability to look into both the dark and light aspects of your psyche, you're going to have to sit down and do some serious inner reflection. And I happen to have amazing listeners on this podcast who are deep existential thinkers and feelers who are ready to look at the ways they're keeping themselves stuck. I need you to understand that if you're willing to do that, that sets you apart from a big percentage of our population who really like to externalize the blame on everyone else and just kind of have a reactionary approach to life. If you're listening to this right now, it likely means that you want to take control of your own life's purpose. And there are ways to do this. Thoughtful reflection and then combining that with action taking is what helps us uncover our real values, our strengths, our weaknesses, and our skills that can be brought to the foreground of our life to help us find more meaning in our life personally and our career, whatever we choose to do to pay our bills, quote unquote. And it is in this balance that Ikigai is found. Now, if you search Ikigai, which is spelled I-K-I-G-A-I in Google, you will see what looks like a Venn diagram situation, like circles placed upon one another. And I highly recommend that if you're listening to this and it's safe to do so, look up the Ikigai diagram on your phone so you can kind of see what I'm saying. Now, the Ikigai diagram is built around the following questions. What do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need from you? And what can you get paid for? Tokyo-based neuroscientist and author Ken Mogi identifies the five central pillars of Ikigai as starting small, releasing yourself, harmony and sustainability, the joy of little things, and being here in the here and now. And according to Mogi, these pillars formed as a natural extension of the Japanese mindset and culture, but still he acknowledges that anyone can adopt these different pillars or tenets in their life. And very similar to mindfulness, the key here is to be present in the moment. And I know we hear that so often, and it's almost just like an eye roll, like love yourself, right? There are these concepts that get thrown around so much that they've almost lost their meaning, but it is so vital to be present in the moment. And so many of us have such a difficult time doing that. But at the same time, it's unmistakably about looking forward the anticipation of your cup of coffee or a weekend activity with friends that you have planned. And then at the same time, it's about savoring the cup of coffee when you have it and enjoying deeply that moment or being fully present with a friend over a nice dinner or something like that, rather than thinking about the next thing that you have to do. Taking a cue from the four elements diagram of Ikigai, if you're, if you're looking at it right now, but if not, we can just imagine it. 
Seeking your ikigai is kind of the same thing as quote unquote, finding your dream job. So imagine combining what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can get paid for. Is it even possible? Maybe it will take you years to work out, but if you can find the sweet spot between where those points converge, you will find something that is worth getting out of bed for every day. We all hear the phrase of like finding your calling and we all want to find our calling, our true purpose, but it can be really tricky if you're anything like me, where it's hard for you to even pick what you want to wear to go out or what you want to eat for that night, let alone what your ultimate purpose or calling in life is. It can feel very overwhelming. And if you're anything like me as well, even just thinking about those big questions can make you just want to go roll a joint and get stoned out of your mind and never think again. I really do understand that. And you know, we've all heard stories of huge dramatic career changes in pursuit of dreams, right? You hear about people quitting their nine to five and flying to the Swiss Alps to just go become a ski instructor or something, or maybe someone quits their high powered corporate job to go back to school and become an elementary school teacher or something because they're really passionate about wanting to work with kids. But your changes in your career don't always have to be so drastic. You can start to explore your ikigai by considering the types of tasks that give you the most pleasure in your current job now. Because if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, I always advise against making permanent decisions based upon temporary feelings or making really drastic moves. For example, I slowly phased out of my corporate job. I did I did the best work I could. I kept doing my my best all the way up until the very end, but I had my podcast as a passion project that I could work on on the weekend and I worked and worked and worked at that on my free time until it could support me enough to where I could put in my resignation at my corporate job. So right now, think about what types of tasks at your current job give you the most pleasure. So some questions you might ask yourself, right? Do you enjoy managing people or working in groups of people? Or do you like working in isolation? For me, I like working in isolation. That's why my podcast is such a perfect job for me. And another thing you can ask yourself, do you get satisfaction from solving complex issues? Or maybe do you like giving presentations or speaking in front of people? Do you like being outside when you work? Do you prefer working remotely? Starting to ask yourself some of these questions is really important because someone else's dream job where they are speaking in front of hundreds of people every day and this could really fill their cup could make someone else feel incredibly drained. So by slowly sifting out the aspects of the work that you don't enjoy and increasing the kinds of work that you do enjoy, you can start to gain a sense of your ikigai. Now, another concept that we want to explore when it comes to ikigai, and it can be really, really tricky, is, is this passion of yours something the world needs? Now, ikigai as a philosophy is selfless and giving in this aspect, and it traditionally manifests as giving yourself over to something other than yourself. But this isn't always as difficult as it can appear 
on the face of it. You don't have to quit your job to go retrain as a veterinarian or start a charity. The first pillar of Ikigai teaches us to start small. So giving yourself over to something else can be as simple as offering to buy your elderly neighbors some groceries. It could even look like requesting a day off per month to volunteer for a charity you're passionate about. You get the gist. But it's the idea is that these small moments and gestures of kindness can have a dramatic impact on how you feel about the other areas of your life, especially when you are struggling with reasons to get out of bed in the morning or even really struggling to want to live anymore as I have been, I've been there. Now you might be thinking at this point that finding my ultimate calling and my purpose for being, okay, Molly, great. Yes, I'd love that. But right now I'm struggling to feel engaged in the job that I have now. And it looks like there is no way out anytime soon. I'm going to be a waitress for the rest of my life, or I'm going to be in this corporate job that I hate for the rest of my life. Ikigai as a philosophy, as a way of life, doesn't have to be about finding your mission. It can actually help you today right now in the work you're doing right now. The neuroscientist Ken Mogi that I mentioned before, he vouches for pleasure through absorption in an activity. He believes that work can become an end in itself, not something we have to endure or to get something out of, such as a promotion or a bonus. He uses a concept of being, quote, in flow to illuminate how getting lost in even the most mundane of tasks can bring you a sense of reward and freedom. And this is related to one of the pillars of Ikigai, which is releasing yourself and being in the here and now. And in his book, Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, an author with a Czechoslovakian name that I cannot pronounce for the life of me. Um, I will paste the book in the show notes. He argues that complete absorption in a task is optimal when our perceived skill level matches the challenge of the task. But however, with mindfulness, we can learn to keep our mind on the present and focus on exactly what we're doing now whether that's washing dishes or working through a boring spreadsheet. And once you're in flow, you'll gain more pleasure from work and release yourself from the need for reward and recognition. And ironically, if you do this, it can actually make you more likely to be rewarded and recognized. It's kind of crazy how that works. But of course, this doesn't preclude having goals or a long-term plan. It simply asks you to be more present and make the most of the life that you're living right now, and then taking actions in the background towards maybe a life that you'd like more in the future. We all experience ups and downs in our lives and our careers, but by finding pleasure in the flow, even the most mundane tasks can become rewarding and help get us through a particularly rough patch in our lives. The world right now is moving through massive change on many levels, and I've been watching, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well, more and more people are feeling called to align their individual and unique skills and gifts with a higher sense of contribution. And the most beautiful examples that I'm seeing of this are emerging in many areas of social change and activism, 
where people aren't abandoning their passion for the cause, but they're actually channeling the thing that they love doing most in the direction of positive change and discovering inspired ways to support themselves financially along that path. The truth is that many of the challenges we're facing today in the world are not simple technical challenges. They are complex, multidimensional issues that are going to require expansive, multidimensional thinking and action. And the type of thinking, action, and energy that emerges naturally when us as individuals, when we are deep in the flow of creative expression or connection with other people, when we're immersed in something that brings us into our hearts, that makes us come alive creatively, and we are bringing ourselves fully to it, instantly we become more generative, more magnetic, and more dynamic in our ability to navigate challenges and discover pathways of breaking through and making really positive change in the world. I would like to provide you with some journaling prompts and things that I want you to think about that can allow you to start opening yourself up and beginning some of this inner reflection that can guide you in the direction of your ikigai. So if you are driving or doing something where it isn't safe to sit down with a pen and paper right now, you can know that around 40 minutes in is where you should rewind this podcast episode and sit down and do this later. You can actually just, if you're out and about right now, you can just think about these questions, but make sure that you go back to around 40 minutes later when you get a chance to sit down and re-listen to this part and use these questions for some journaling prompts. I'm thinking about doing an article on my Substack later um, where I can list out these journaling prompts as well. So stay tuned for that. But here are some questions that you can start asking yourself to get closer to your ikigai. The first thing we want to do is explore your passion. Ask yourself, what do you love? What brings you the most joy? When I ask that, what comes up first immediately for you? The next thing I want you to ask yourself is, what are you good at? What comes up first? right away when I ask you that. doesn't have to be something that makes money. It's like, what are you really good at? What skills? Next, what do you believe, you, in your heart of hearts? What do you think the world needs most right now? And lastly, what can you get paid for? What are skills that you have that you think are monetizable? Now, you don't have to force yourself to come up with answers to these all in one sitting. It's actually more productive to take your time and revisit these questions, maybe write them down and put them up and really start meditating on them. The idea is that over a course of a few days or weeks, you will take notes and ideas and insights as they come to you. The most important part here is to create some moments for silent reflection. Try to reduce some of the digital clutter. For example, start consuming less content. It's really important when you're asking yourself these questions, don't consume a lot of social media or things like this that are going to clutter your own personal ikigai. 
set aside multiple times in your day for some silent reflection on these questions, silent walks in nature, where you can really start letting some insights bubble up because that does happen. But most importantly, be radically honest with yourself. Don't be afraid to jot down whatever comes to mind, no matter how crazy or irrational it might seem to you right now. Just get it all down on paper. Now, if these questions aren't sparking as much insight as you'd like, try these questions. First, what would you like to see change in the world? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What comes up in your mind right now as I ask that? What would you like to see change in the world? Next, what in your life as it is right now with no changes makes you happy? That can be a hard one, but I want you to just let something arise in your mind right now. What in your life as it is now makes you happy? Next, you can ask, why do you get out of bed in the morning? And if you're really depressed right now and it's to just feed your dog, well, you can write that down. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Have you had any life-changing moments in your life that felt like they provided a lightning bolt of clarity? Oprah Winfrey calls these like an aha moment. What is an aha moment that you can think of that you've had? Include other life or career experiences that significantly inform your personal values. The idea is that after you've answered these questions thoughtfully and meditated on them, jot everything down, everything, thought dump it all. Start to look for patterns in the answers that come out. What kind of themes are emerging As you work through these questions, are there obvious intersections among different categories or do they seem totally separate from one another? If there aren't any clear links, don't worry. If it seems all over the place, don't worry about it. It's normal and give yourself grace and accept that this process is going to take time to evolve. It can be really hard to see yourself objectively, especially if you're going through 
like what I call and what many mystics have called, this is not a phrase I made up myself, but what feels like a dark night of the soul, a really rough patch where you just feel like nothing makes sense. Maybe you're feeling suicidal, depressed, just like your mental health symptoms are at their height. That's when it can be hardest to see ourselves objectively. And this is where getting outside feedback is really important. Something that you can do is ask family and friends to anonymously tell you what they see as your three best qualities. I've actually had a friend of mine who was in therapy send me like an anonymous questionnaire that she created and she was working with a therapist where I needed to fill it out and talk about what her strengths were, um, what her perceived weaknesses were. But the important thing to do here is ask friends and family that are trusted and who aren't stuck in their own trauma, right? (laughs) Because the last thing you want is to be giving this to people that aren't in a good headspace themselves. So you can ask friends and family for their feedback. And you can also take assessments online. Um, One is called like Strengths Finder. You can look that up. Or the VIA Character Strength Survey. These things can help you identify and create a vocabulary around your specific skills and traits. So interestingly enough, you may find that the qualities about yourself that you actually took for granted were exactly what the people closest to you see as most unique and valuable. So for example, instead of downplaying your strength of being very empathetic, the comments of your friends and family telling you that your empathy is a strength could nudge you to look deeper at how you could leverage your sensitivity as a strength and maybe pivot your career to focus on something that embraces that sensitivity, which might be coaching, teaching, writing, doing art. There are so many different ways now in the creator economy to express your sensitivity as a strength. Now, next, what you can do with these reflections is to map things out. Mapping out your answers to the questions that I've provided you with is helpful, especially if you feel stuck and there are lots of ways to create a map. So just experiment with whatever makes visual sense to you. Some people find it helpful to draw interlocking circles for each category, like the Ikigai diagram, while others like to map it on a quadrant. Writing ideas that meet multiple criteria near the intersection of these different axes. The map doesn't have to be beautiful, and it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else but you. It just has to organize your thoughts. The idea is to keep this as a living document. And what I mean by a living document is it one that grows and changes over time. It's not that you could go, here's my life's purpose out of sa- as of Saturday, April 22, 2023. No. <laughs> Prepare for this to change and evolve over time. And as you start to test your ikigai in the real world, you will be able to go back to this living document, strike things out, that don't work, and add others. Now, if you're like me, and you're more of an experiential learner rather than a logical planning type, you can spend some time thinking through and mapping out what your ideal day 
would look like in as much detail as possible. So in other words, what you're doing is visualizing what an energizing and fulfilling day living out your Ikigai might look like and giving yourself the permission to be imaginative and creative with it. If you were doing something that you got paid for that you could meet all your basic needs with and feel like it wasn't even work, you were just doing what you were meant to do on this planet that gave back to others, that gave to yourself and allowed you to meet your basic needs from waking up in the morning to going to bed at night, write out what that day would look like for you. When you go through an exercise like this, you'd be surprised how eye-opening it is. So for example, you might say you'd love nothing more than to start your day with an hour-long walk followed by working from home, and maybe you want to alternate between days of deep work on creative projects and then days filled working individually with people. What does it look like for you? So when you write this out, you might look at this ideal day and feel a sense of deep depression because maybe what you have written out as your ideal day is so far from your current reality. Maybe like me, just five years ago, when I was living in another city or spending hours commuting back and forth to a job, and this is so far from the life that you actually want. But what you can do is you can start with this ideal day plan that you make, you can start making small changes by picking elements of your ideal day and bringing them into the life that you have now. So for example, you could take back control of your calendar and block out two hours a week to focus on your writing projects, for example. And the idea is over time, these little incremental adjustments and changes start to add up. And that means you are moving closer every day to a more personally meaningful life for you. Now, as you do this, the third part of this exercise is to see if it feels right. Now, whether you're holding a list or a map or a breakdown of your ideal day by using the steps that we've just covered, I want you to reflect and do a gut check. There is an anthropologist and Ikigai researcher named Gordon Matthews, and he believes in using an intuitive approach to examine his own life. On an occasional basis, Gordon Matthews checks in with himself about his Ikigai, and he asks himself things like, how is it going? What's bothering me? What's really going on right now? And he believes that these are worthwhile questions to ask, whether we determined our Ikigai 40 years ago, or whether we're just learning about the concept right now here in this moment on this podcast, whether you are on an initial Ikigai fact-finding journey, integrating instinctive nudges with logic-driven thinking, is what leads to a deeper and more coherent sense of purpose. And one of the best tools for straddling this left and right brain perspective, and when we talk about left and right brain, it means we're we're bringing into balance and integrating those creative, instinctive, intuitive parts of our brain with our logic 
driven thinking part of our brain into a really purposeful, like imagining those two parts coming together and creating a stream driving us towards our ikigai. That's difficult to do. And there is a design thinking tool called the Odyssey Plan, which has been created by Stanford professors Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. In an Odyssey Plan for your Ikigai, you try on three different paths, or in this case, three different visions of Ikigai to see what they feel like. So what you do is you start by listing three different descriptions of your possible Ikigai. The first one should reflect your current path, while the second and third should reflect what you choose if money or other people's expectations didn't matter. And how to do this is essentially just sketching it out, writing it out. And then what you do after you sketch out these different paths, one reflecting on where you're going currently, the second one, the path that you take if money didn't exist, and the third one being if people's expectations didn't exist. And then what you do is you rank how you feel about each of those paths based upon three different factors. One, how much you like it. Two, how confident you are in it. And three, whether it fits with your life, your work, and your worldview. These Stanford professors, Burnett and Evans, noted that approaching your purpose as an odyssey, which is like a big mythic journey, right? It's not only a playful way to evaluate your current path, but it's also a reminder that your ikigai evolves as you grow as a person. We've talked a lot on this podcast about Joseph Campbell's concept of the hero's journey. I even did a 21 long episode series on the hero's journey that's available only to my premium subscribers that walks you through this. Looking at our life as a never-ending journey is so much more beneficial than the way that currently Western society sees these concepts. So the next step is to test it, right? The payoff to finding your ikigai is in living it out. And like any aspiration, it doesn't happen through introspection alone. I love tarot very much. I believe that archetypal imagery is a really powerful way to explore our psyche. And tarot just happens to encapsulate many beautiful aspects of esoteric wisdom all in one place in a, in a card deck. And my favorite card is the Magician Tarot card. And on the Magician Tarot card, you see the character and he has one finger pointing up towards the sky and one pointing down towards the ground. And the imagery here is meant to portray the importance of spiritual wisdom, which means there's the importance and uh, benefit of having our quote-unquote head in the clouds of 
reflecting and thinking and maybe opening our mind to maybe intuitive hits of wisdom. But then if we stay up there in the clouds and we don't take action on anything, we're never going to get anywhere. And the significance of the tarot card character of the magician pointing his hand towards the ground as well as the sky is he is getting intuitive wisdom. He's reflecting by pointing his hand up and by pointing his hand towards the ground that indicates that he is also taking action on his deep self-reflection because process cannot happen through introspection alone. You have to commit to consistent action in order to make strides and also make adjustments along the way as you continue to grow on your life's path. And once you've arrived at a working idea about your Ikigai, it's time to take some action in the real world to test if following this life's purpose is actually something you will find meaningful and fulfilling. This might involve shifting priorities or exploring new directions. Maybe you will travel less and prioritize more family time. Maybe you will start a new business that combines multiple interests, like for example, me starting this podcast. You might find yourself changing careers entirely if your current focus doesn't overlap with your ikigai, like I did with this podcast. I was working in tech, nothing to do with helping people, nothing to do with psychology or philosophy, which are my deepest passions. So saying yes to your ikigai will require you saying no more often. I want to repeat that again. Saying yes to your life's purpose will require you to say no more often. It's going to require you to strip away certain commitments in order to fully focus on your priorities. It's going to mean creating rock solid boundaries to protect your time And that will allow you to enter a psychological and creative flow state where your ikigai actually has the ability to flow into your life. Now, as you begin to take steps towards your goal, your ikigai is going to be tested. And this is a really good thing. There's an author named Neil Parisha, and he suggests running your ikigai through the Saturday morning test. So he says the Saturday morning test is your answer to one simple question. What do you do on a Saturday morning when you have nothing to do? Make sure your ikigai is something you'd find yourself blissfully drawn to on a rare day off. I'm using myself as an example again here. I read spirituality books, self-development books, philosophy. I do all of this stuff as a passion. I'm obsessed with psychology and all of the concepts I explore on this podcast. It is what I wake up and do on a Saturday morning in my own time. And so I am blessed to be able to flow these passions into this work right now. It is a Saturday morning as I am recording this for you drinking my coffee. It is my bliss. I am following my bliss. Now, next The next thing we got to do in our journey towards Ikigai is building our support system. With most life transitions, it's really important to have support while consciously developing your sense of Ikigai. So if you decided to work towards another career, turning a side project into a full-time endeavor, for example, what I did with my podcast, it is crucial to have 
mentors guiding you, as well as having caring people in my corner. So for example, when I was pursuing my music career, my last partner that I was with was not very supportive of my creative pursuits. I could tell that he didn't really believe in it. I could tell that he was resentful that I was spending late nights in the studio and I did not feel supported. I felt like he thought it was silly. Even when I tried to open up to him about my passion for psychology, for example, and even when I said I wanted to go to therapy, he thought it was silly. Now, conversely, my current partner, my husband, Zaz, he has been nothing but supportive. As soon as I started this podcast, he was so supportive in me building up this business to be able to quit the job that I was not passionate about to do this full time, even if that meant making sacrifices as a household from a financial perspective to pursue my dreams. He has dedicated his own personal time and creative talents to this work, and it is so important that I feel supported in it. Not only that, I have some really amazing people who know who you are, that are also entrepreneurs who have had the courage to drop jobs that did not fill their cup and take a chance on something they were passionate about, who I find as mentors, who I have regular calls with that help support me and guide me in this. So cultivating a relationship who's made a similar transition in their career is really helpful. I have that in, for example, one of the listeners who I interviewed on this podcast, Scott, I've had the ability to have him as a mentor. He quit a corporate job that was not filling his cup and he decided to throw himself into a dog training business. He was passionate about this. Ask this mentor that you find about their experience making the leap. Ask them which aspects of it were the most challenging and the most rewarding. Ask them about mistakes they made along the way that they wish they could have maybe avoided that you can learn from. There's an author named Molly Beck, and she has something called the RO strategy or the reach out strategy. And she believes that building meaningful relationships with other creatives, writers, and thought leaders that you admire are really important. And many of these have the ability to blossom into great friendships with people that you can turn to for moral support when you inevitably hit rough patches because you will. Now here are some reminders for you as you embark on the road to finding your ikigai, finding this sweet spot in between all of these things of what you're passionate about, what the world needs, what you can get paid for. Here are some reminders. Try as hard as you can to be non-judgmental about your ikigai. If you find your sense of purpose through devotion to your career, that's wonderful. But it doesn't mean that your family, friends, or spirituality aren't important to you and that you shouldn't make time for them. It simply means that a large part of the thing that you live for stems from the sense of reward and accomplishment you get from the things you take on through your vocation and profession. Another thing to remind yourself is that not every moment of every day is going to be blissful. Keep in mind that even as you pursue your sense of purpose, not every moment of every day is going to be easy or even enjoyable for you. Regardless of the changes you've made in your career or your life, you're going to still 
have to make trade-offs and compromises and do tasks that you don't like. And if you're connected with your sense of purpose, most of the time though, you'll be more resilient and keep bad days in perspective. Even people that you see who you think are living the dream, maybe Rihanna, right? She is now a billionaire. She has multiple businesses. She gets to express herself creatively. There are things I'm sure that Rihanna doesn't like to do. Maybe she has to wake up early for an interview. Maybe she has to wake up early at 4am for a flight. Maybe she feels like she has to go out on stage when she's feeling really introverted and needs time to herself. But I'm sure there are other parts of her job that fill her cup up and it is likely that the things that she loves about what she does far outweighs what she doesn't. Me, for example, even though I feel so blessed right now, I feel as though I am truly following my ikigai. I'm following my bliss. Whenever I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm talking it into this microphone right now. I'm in flow state. I love it. But there are parts of what I do as a full-time podcaster who has no resources right now to hire anyone else to help me that are stressful. For example, it can take me a couple of weeks to manage my emails and the messages I get and the support requests I get through my premium subscribers. I get really overwhelmed with the administrative load of all of this because I'm only one person and I wish so much that I could respond faster, but right now I'm having to balance the administrative tasks of my podcast with, you know, the parts that I really love, which is the creative flow state part and the research part. And eventually, if I'm patient with it, I know that my podcast will grow into a thriving business where I'm able to hire people to work with me to help take over some of these tasks that I find to be maybe more overwhelming and that aren't in alignment with my ikigai. So another reminder is to let your ikigai be your guide. An ikigai in some ways is like a compass for you and aligning your actions with the things that you live for can help you navigate the ups and downs of life because those are inevitable. And as your career and your passion evolves and you're presented with more opportunities, you can rely on your ikigai like a compass to steer you in the right direction. It's like your North Star. Remember to evaluate your sense of happiness and purpose at every step along the way. And by seeking growth that fits your sense of purpose, you will pursue health and happiness as well. It just all starts coming together. It becomes less of an effort. It just flows. By combining the perfect career-seeking powers of the Venn diagram with the more foundational five pillars of Ikigai, and really taking time to reflect on these things over time, giving yourself grace, you can build up something entirely new. You can be sitting one day, one year, and after reflecting on these things, like two years later, like I have, be sitting with an entirely new career that feels like it is perfectly in flow with your Ikigai. Now, I am not a finished article, I don't think I am there yet. I don't even think a finish line exists, but I do believe that through following this myself, I can see my ikigai. Things aren't so blurry anymore. It's just around the corner, but right now I'm choosing to look at the here and now and follow my bliss, follow my heartbreak, 
follow what I believe needs changing in the world and directing my unique creative skills and passions towards that. And I hope that what I've shared with you today can help you do the same. All right, everyone, it's that time of the episode where I give you a preview of my second private podcast, My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. This part of the podcast is available only to premium submarines who pay monthly to access over 110 bonus hours of content, my Hero's Journey series, as well as these additional Stupid Walk episodes where I, the first part of the episode is kind of where I'm just musing over things that I've learned throughout the week and we finish every single stupid walk for my stupid mental health episode with some reflections from listeners. So my premium submarines have the ability to send in voicemails and emails that get prioritized and each stupid walk episode finishes off after my walk with me sitting back down on my desk reading listener emails and responding to listener voicemails. So if that sounds like something you want to get involved in, you can sign up to become a premium submarine and even read a little bit more about what bonus content is available to you as a premium submarine by checking out the links in the description of this episode. So you can do that. But for now, what I'm going to do as I do on every episode is play a little snippet of this week's stupid walk to give you a little taste. It'll then fade out at the end. And if you'd like to unlock the full bonus episode, you can do that by signing up to become a premium submarine. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the preview of this week's my stupid walk for my stupid mental health number 17 let's go what's up everyone we're on another stupid walk with me and cody you can probably hear the birds twittering away today i want to talk about control and winning and i guess a little bit about splitting but i'm reading a book right now That's exploring the idea and concept of just how in interactions specifically with other people, we can get into this self-protective mindset where we feel like a cornered animal and we feel like we have to win, like it's a battle. And so often in situations in my life, I felt like I had to make a decision either right then and there and the decision had to be either black or white and I always thought like I had to come out as the victor in that situation and what I don't think is something that we keep top of mind enough of the time is that always there are multiple other avenues that we can take And by that I mean, say for example, you're in a relationship and you feel like they're, the person doesn't care about you. They don't offer to maybe like go out on dates enough. You feel like you're making all the effort or maybe you are in a job that you've been at for a while and you feel like you aren't being heard and 
you're not getting paid enough and maybe you or maybe you got into an altercation with someone that you work with and you're just like I can't do this right and so often in my life I've kind of made these very like chaotic decisions that were very black and white and very final and that had very far-reaching impacts in my life because I felt like I needed to make a decision right then and there or I needed to say something I needed to defend myself and it's not like consciously in my mind I felt like I needed to quote-unquote win but I think many of us who grew up in childhood homes where our inner worlds were neglected and invalidated and we didn't feel like the people that were raising us cared about what we want, wanted, how we felt. And so many of us grew up feeling like existing really was just a battle. Feeling heard and seen was a battle. But I think the negative impact this has on us as we grow up is as we become adults, we can't have that childhood reaction of kind of like stamping our feet on the floor and screaming and deciding to just like in England, there's a phrase that's like you're throwing your toys out of the pram. And by that, it's like you're acting like a child, right? You're you're throwing your toys out of your stroller. In the United States, we call it a stroller. But, you know, it's like the little... I'm always trying to cater to my international audience right now. It's these these colloquial phrases. But many of us do have that attitude. If we're honest with ourselves, we were very childish in our emotional intelligence, right? doesn't mean that we're not big-hearted, extre- extremely loving people. But we may not be the kind of person that someone wants around in a crisis or when something really needs to be discussed in a calm manner. And if you're anything like me, as soon as I started making progress in my recovery, I started recognizing like, I don't know if I would want to date me. (laughs) I don't know if I would want to come to me with a complex issue that needed to be thought of from a rational point of view. Um, I always really admired mediators And if you're familiar with what a mediator is, it's like they're like a professional conflict resolution specialist. And these type of people are always trying to find a way where everyone can win. And this is what I wanted to talk about today is instead of thinking about yourself as this Spartan warrior in life where everyone's coming at you and you feel like you're having to defend yourself left, right, and center, what if you took on the approach and the archetype of the mediator of wondering when you're in a situation, instead of always feeling like you have to react, say something, or defend yourself, what if instead you took on the mentality of someone that thinks like this? How can I exit this situation with the knowledge that I tried my best to make sure everyone wins? And how can I center love and connection in this interaction? And then reflect back on your life and how often you didn't think that way. 
And when we're wondering why chaos and drama tends to follow us around, so many of us who struggle with emotion dysregulation have the same issue, which is my life is chaos, my interactions with other people, I want closeness and connection so badly, and I feel this emptiness in my soul where I feel like there's a hole where love and connection needs to be, but it's almost just like it evades me and I... I seem to attract toxic people. When in reality, many of us have also been that toxic person. And nobody wants to talk about that, right? We all want to Google, is my ex a narcissist? Blah, blah, blah. We've talked about this before on our stupid walks, so I won't go down that road. But none of us want to face the fact that we might be being that toxic person too. What makes us think that only our needs should get met? How much time do you spend thinking about how someone has done you wrong, how the world is against you, these types of thoughts, and how would your life change if you went inward and came out and said, I'm going to change this and I'm going to think about how I can try to make everyone in every interaction that I have, I want to make sure that we're all winners. Come on, Cody. Again, we're at this creek that I walk past and Cody does not want to walk through the little creek. Come on, Cody. Don't be such a diva. How would that change your life? I'll answer you. It will change your life big, big time. And if you even just start focusing on it, You'll recognize that sometimes you'll fuck up, right? And then you'll just slip back into your old patterns of just feeling like you need to win and that you're constantly feeling attacked. For me, this comes a lot from my issues with authority because growing up, I witnessed my dad who endured a ton of abuse at the hands of his father, unimaginable abuse. Um, But my own dad... He, his moods were very volatile. He openly admits he struggles with emotion dysregulation. He probably would get a BPD diagnosis at various stages of his life. As he's gotten older, he's mellowed out quite a bit. Um, but when I was young, you know, my dad was in his third, early 30s. And he was in the height of his struggles. And he was incredibly jealous. You know, my mom couldn't even like go out with her friends um without my dad you know being really moody about it he was the kind of person that would give my mom the silent treatment if she stood up for me or took my side um and it it was just a really fucked up dynamic and if you said the wrong thing at the table when you were out with people like you know you you get that look from your parent like we're gonna talk about this later you know it was very subtle and fucked up like that and I took the some people go inward which is I think what my sister did where she became very quiet but for me I always acted out at this perceived injustice and I think that my relationship with my dad and my mom that's where like my issues with authority really began because I knew in my gut as a child this isn't right, right? My mom should be able to go out with her friends and not feel like my dad is jealous or giving her the silent treatment or making her kind of like 
pay for things emotionally. I want to be really clear. My dad was not a, a physically abusive person, but very, very emotionally abusive, you know? Do I think that he wanted to hurt us? Absolutely not. He loves us very much, but I think all of us can relate to that, right? How many of us have been, I know I've been emotionally abusive and when I find out the hurt that it caused people back before I was ready to look inward, I would fight and I would say, oh, but you did this to me, right? I don't want to take ownership of what I've done. But needless to say, my dad, you know, I would speak out against my, this perceived injustice of my childhood and I was smacked down, not physically, but just verbally, right? Like my dad's, whatever he said went, even if he would defend himself till the end, he will never admit that he was wrong, right? There are like a few times I can think out on one hand when my dad came into my room, um, like the night after a big fight, the morning after, and he would sit on my bedside and a couple of times he even cried and said, I don't even know what got into me. And this kind of set me up, I think, in my abusive cycles of relationships where I ended up with men who were very similar to that, where there was passion and they would be horrible to me and then they'd apologize and the cycle would continue. But this dynamic with my dad, it really, it made me mistrust authority because I learned from a very young age that even if people are quote unquote in power over you, just because you're bigger than me, stronger than me and older than me. I had to learn that like I had to shut up and I just, I did not agree with that. And also I felt so gaslit when I was young because I knew what I was experiencing was not right. This is not how a mom or dad should act. Right. And cause I saw from like other, my other like friends, parents, or even my teachers who some were just so kind and like listened to me. And I just thought, why, why what's going on here? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this environment? And I rebelled against it big time. But I think that this defensiveness, and even it was modeled by my dad, right? He was never wrong. He had to win. And only when he calmed down, did he come in and he like maybe tried to find the love in that interaction. So what I'm asking you to reflect on for yourself is, is that maybe true in some way for you? Did your people in your life, your caretakers, did you have, what did you have modeled for you early on? Did you feel like you always had to defend yourself even as a child, you know, and how is that defensiveness working out for you now? As we discussed, a lot of these behaviors were very adaptive, right? As a child, that's why I learned very early on how to like argue my case and stand up for myself. And a lot of these things have served me and it was adaptive because it kept me somewhat safe in my environment. It's what I had to do to kind of assert myself. But in, as I've grown up taking it to the extreme, like my dad has in his life, it's not worked out. And I've always admired people who could take that balanced approach of trying to find common ground with people. And ever since I've done that, and I've said it before on a premium submarine episode, asking myself, like, what would love do in a situation has been pretty 
powerfully transformative for me. And as I said, it, it can sound cheesy, right? What would love do, right? Ugh, maybe it's cheesy. But also if you're thinking it's cheesy, what inside of you makes it for me whenever I think, ugh, cheesy, why do I think that's cheesy? Go deeper, investigate. Why do you have a reaction to that? Probably because deep down you feel like that's not true or that's bullshit. And there's a reason that's the case, right? Is because we've become hardened to that and we have to soften. We have to understand that everyone's out here doing their best and that if we take this defensive approach, the person that we're interacting with is likely to take that same approach. And when two people are fighting to the metaphorical death, how can you hope to come out of that? And then what? Even if you quote unquote win in an argument, right? How often have you felt like, haha, yeah, I proved my point. But still at the end, you feel profoundly disconnected from the other person. And it's a horrible feeling. I posted on my Instagram um, this week about a concept called a Pyrrhic victory. And a Pyrrhic victory is essentially you win, but it's not very satisfying in the end. You know, when you think of someone winning, it's like winning an Olympic gold medal. There's nothing negative about that. They're, they're blasting through the finish line of a race. They win the gold medal after so much hard work. That's a victory. You can go home and feel good about that. But when you win a quote unquote argument and you feel like you just kind of said the meaner thing or you proved your point and the other person is still just feeling horrible and it's someone that you actually need to continue working with or interacting with, it might, the, the satisfaction is very short-lived and that even might contribute to a deeper disintegration of the relationship. So sometimes- All right, everyone, that is this week's preview of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. As I mentioned before, if you would like to unlock this full episode, which is stupid walk number 17, you can do that by becoming a premium submarine and premium submarines get access to the full uninterrupted episodes of back from the borderline unlock 110 plus hours of bonus content and also receive my monthly sonar system mailer which has monthly breakdowns of some helpful recovery resources that i'm using in my own life so if that sounds like something you want to sign up for what are you waiting for the link is in the episode description. You can check that out. Sign up on Patreon. If you sign up on Patreon, you have a lot more functionality and access to resources. So go ahead and do that. I would love to see you there and have you join our thriving submarine community. But failing that, other ways you can support the work that I'm doing here, you can share this episode with a friend or someone you love, share it on social media. You can also follow my podcast at Back from the Borderline on Instagram. Lots of cool stuff going on there. I share quotes and memes and stuff every single day. That is just a really good supplement to the inner work that we're doing here on the podcast. You can also follow the podcast if you aren't already. If you're a new listener, follow it to make sure that you get notifications every time I drop a new episode on Tuesday. And of course, you can rate and review the podcast, which also helps me as well. So without further ado, I hope you took a lot from this episode today. And I'm so grateful that out of all the content, you took the time to be here with me. I know you have a lot of options to listen to. So the fact that you sat here with me for an hour and a half, I'm very blessed. I'm sending you a huge virtual hug 
from me to you. And remember, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. See you next Tuesday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.